what should I charge my clients for therapy? When it comes to deciding our rate, it can get emotional, confusing, complicated. We get so many mixed messages about what's ethical and how we're supposed to do this. And in today's episode, we're gonna unpack not what you should be charging, but how you should decide what to charge. Greetings, colleagues and friends. Cambria Evans here, the teaching and learning EMDR consultant. And y'all know that here on the Zero Disturbance podcast, we talk about all things clinical and business related when it comes to your private practice. And we think about how to think. And I think one of the most popular questions with so many different opinions uh, is what people should charge for therapy. And If y'all know me, I talk about finances, money pretty openly here uh, in the consultation program here at Zero Disturbance. We have business building, clinical building. But what I'll say here on the podcast is that I am very pro-valuing therapists who are well-trained and can create amazing transformation for clients. And I have that value and have worked through my own stuff about it. So instead of coming on here and telling y'all what you should charge, I want to invite you to think with me about how we can think about pricing. How are we making this decision? What are the variables that influence us to get to our answer? And today I'm going to talk about three ways that we're influenced about how to think about this. And I'm going to offer you two ideas to consider instead of the three ways most of us learn how to price for our services. Okay, let's discuss. So, number one, we price based on what we are told to price in practicum, right? Uh, Whether we're at an agency or with a private practice supervisor, we typically, not knowing what we're supposed to do, look to the person that is our mentor, supervisor, guide for professional guidance (laughs) and clinical guidance, which makes sense, right? We don't know what we don't know. The problem with this, though, the blind spot here is that sometimes, not always, our supervisors themselves have not done their own work around pricing for their services. And for some of us, we can feel like we shouldn't charge the same as our supervisor or mentor. We shouldn't charge more than them, heaven forbid, because what would that mean about us being too big for our britches, right? And when we come into private practice with this intern mindset, right? The intern mindset being, um, I'll take every client, I'll charge the lowest fee, I'll work every hour. We really don't in our training, come from a place of valuing ourselves, valuing our boundaries, and valuing our time. We don't come from a place typically of learning how to niche and specialize. We're kind of trained to be generalists. And so in this place, there is not much permission to charge our value, charge our worth. There is a message that is very strong. And all of us, most of us, come from this same place. And And what happens next is so interesting, right? Because the second way that we make this choice is what are we being told by the market, right? 
Or what are we being told by insurance companies about what we should price, okay? Now, I have never taken insurance. However, I coach a lot of clinicians to come off of insurance panels and into private practice using the zero disturbance intensive therapy model. Um, and what people are noticing is that when you come from an intern mindset, like many of us do, and then when you go into being on an insurance panel, what can happen is that just like we looked to our supervisor or our mentor when we were coming up, we now look to the insurance companies, right, to tell us what's our value, what's our worth. Now, if we were to zoom out and we were to think about that choice making sense for us, <laughs> right, it really, it really doesn't. Now, what the insurance companies do is that they guarantee us clients. They will, they will give us clients. And for a lot of us coming into private practice, that feels safe. It feels secure. And it feels like someone's protecting us and looking out for us. And Many of us choose to stay on insurance panels for many reasons, and that's an intentional choice. What I'm talking about today is coming from an intern mindset and then going into an insurance community, right? We are given messages that may not be in our best interest, okay? But many people decide pricing based on insurance reimbursement. So then what happens is, is kind of this idea of like, what are we told by the market, Let's think about what the market even is. What does that even mean? Well, what it means is there are some clinicians who talk about pricing their own services based on what kind of the going market rate is. And I am so fascinated by this, you guys, for a couple of reasons. One, now that we've been in COVID for several years, now that we understand that we can work virtually anywhere in our state, I'm in California, there's lots of people in California who have been working with me in different parts of the state that was not available to me uh, in the same way before COVID. So we've normalized virtual services, right? So our market area now has become our entire state for those of us that are still working virtually with clients. What's interesting is that there are also states who are making a counseling compact agreement to allow people licensed in one state practice in another state without having to do all of the recredentialing and paperwork that's required of us now to practice in multiple states. Which even creates a different market area for us to determine our prices. So we can see how this is gonna become tricky quickly right? Because the market geographically that used to have a defined boundary for us, right, has now changed because of virtual therapy and has now changed because there are many, many states joining this compact that allows them to practice across state lines. What else is interesting about uh, determining price based on the market? is that many people who are highly, highly specialized and highly trained, like brain spotting therapists, EMDR clinicians, people who do art, right? We spend these thousands of dollars on these trainings, these kind of brain-based trauma trainings. And some people will post their fee on their website or on Psychology Today. But many clinicians who charge a higher rate for a higher value service do not post their rates. 
And so what's happening is that we're actually looking at the market through Psychology Today or people's websites. And what's happening is that we're not seeing the full sample of our market area because of the clinicians who have decided not to share their rate publicly, right? There's there's kind of a filter where it's like, if you want to work with me, contact me, we'll talk about rates, okay? Also, the third piece here, market rate is hard to determine because people have all sorts of sliding scale programs. They have ways to be intentionally generous, right? So if you go on my website, my rate is very high. It's publicly listed there, right? And I have a sliding scale program. So it's hard to determine what everyone's rate actually is. It's hard to determine how to then get some kind of average or range for our geographical area now that we can't really define what our market exactly is. So it gets a little confusing to do that. And I also think that, you know, <laughs> the, the third place where people make their choices is that I've seen these going around Facebook groups and, you know, they, they kind of infuriate me and I want to talk about them for a minute. There are studies, and I'm using air quotes for those of y'all listening on the podcast, there are studies being done that are telling us that in these geographical areas, different cities, different states, here's what people are charging on average. Now, if you look at this study, again, I'm using air quotes, what you'll notice is that these are being put out by companies like Therapy Den, ZenCare, Simple Practice, essentially companies that want to recruit therapists to list their psychology services in their directories, right? So these studies what they actually are is essentially a report of their clients, right? Using their directory services. And it's kind of a, a breakdown of their clients' fees. Now, I have not really, I'm not familiar with some of these. I use simple practice. I'm not familiar with ZenCare or Therapy Den. I have no opinions about them. But what I will say is that as someone that comes from a research background who has created peer-reviewed papers, right? We cannot tell people and spread misinformation about what people are charging if it is only coming from our company's directory. So the equivalent is if I were just to put out a study, again, using air quotes, and, and tell my fellow clinicians, this is what trauma clients are like after the third session of EMDR. Now, if you looked at my sample size, what would it be? It would just be clients in my practice right? A couple hundred people. Now, we cannot take a couple hundred people and generalize those findings from my self-selected practice to all clients. That is not how research works. What, that, what, is the, what is that? That is a descriptive paper of my client population. It is not a generalizable research study. And so my hope is that these directory companies will stop publishing these, quote, studies that are essentially just their reports of what their clients are doing from their directories. Because I think what gets confusing for clinicians is that they take these, these reports and generalize them to all therapists in the United States. Now, I don't have exact numbers on this. Last I tried to figure out, there's about half a million therapists or mental health care professionals in the U.S., okay? If you have a therapy directory that has 3,000 customers, 
3,000 people is not a representative sample of half a million therapists, okay? And a lot of the therapists that have higher fees, that have waiting lists, that have a referral stream, they don't sign up for these directories because they don't need the clients. Does that make sense? So again, I want to help you think that we're only seeing part of the picture here. And what's dangerous about only seeing part of the picture is that we're making choices about our worth, about our businesses, about our livelihood with only a piece of a bigger story, right? Now, there are some therapists and coaches who go around and say how much they make, and that's a lot, right? I mean, in the coaching world, I know a coach who charges $1,000 an hour to talk about Enneagrams with her clients. And, and good for her, right? And, and coaches are very open about their rates. And this like often will like infuriate therapists. I think it makes us kind of jealous um, that we don't have that marketing ability quite yet in our community. But there are some people who talk about their rates openly, but it is a very small percentage. It is a very small percentage because people who are charging a lot, people who are doing really, really well, they're not going to blast it publicly. They're not going to talk about it publicly. It's kind of like this cultural norm, right? Where um, like I live in California, Northern California, and people here who have a ton of money will walk around in jeans and a t-shirt and flip-flops. And you might be able to see that they drive a nice car, but typically they're pretty low-key about it. They're pretty low-key about it. And I think that the therapists who are charging a lot are not on these directories and they're pretty low-key about it. Okay. So I want you to understand that you might not be seeing, <laughs> you might not have access to see what the full range of therapist rates really truly are. It's not, it's not visible. So I want to put that out there as you're deciding what the market rate is. This question of, well, what's everyone charging, right? There's no way for you to know that with what's visible to you and, and what's being given to you as, as some kind of a comprehensive report, okay? So what do we do with that? <laughs> what do we do with that, right? I have two ideas, but first I want to just say that, you know, some of us will talk to colleagues about money. Some of us will talk to colleagues about, well, what are you charging and what should we charge? And I think what's often the case, not always, but what's often the case is that I believe the therapy community has intergenerational trauma that's been passed down to us and just about money and pricing. And just like we help our clients, right, with their intergenerational trauma messages from, you know, their grandparents and parents from decades and decades ago, I truly believe it's our responsibility as therapists now to notice when we are being given a message about how much we should charge that is based in a model of codependency. And what do I, what do I mean by that? Codependency like... Um, well, I have to charge this much because clients want to take insurance. Or I have to charge this much um, because, you know, this is what everyone else is charging. I have to charge this much because um, the healthcare system is broken. And I have to, you know, impact in a negative way my own livelihood because I'm going to fix the healthcare system and compensate for the fact that people, not everyone can afford therapy. Now, I want to put a caveat next to this and say, if you are intentionally choosing this and this feels like it is in your business model, in your integrity, and it does not feel codependent, it feels like it belongs to you and it's 
I support you 100%. I am not here to make a judgment about how much you should charge. What I am here to do is help you think through how you are making a decision and noticing with you the places where you might not have information and where you might be filling in the gaps, right? And just like our clients are given messages from people who have codependency and and trauma, our therapeutic community has been talking more and more about this, but we have that message coming from a lot of our mentors that came up before us. Not all of them, but many of them. And I think it's important that we talk about that so that we can change it only because I want our community to be sustainable, right? At the end of the day, I'm, I'm talking about this with you and thinking about this with you. How do, how do we make this choice? Because I love our therapy, our therapy community so much. I worry when I see clinicians charging too little, not being able to pay their bills, not being able to take time off to have some self, real self-care because they have to see 35 clients or 30 clients a week to pay their bills and make ends meet. This is not the community message that I'm going to be supporting, okay? This is, this is not what we deserve as clinicians. And I will tell you, I, I just had um, a surgery a couple of weeks ago. I was able to finally get in for a surgery that had been rescheduled multiple times during COVID for two years because of the surges and because of the healthcare workers not being available. I will tell you that my first night after surgery, the hospital was short-staffed because, I'm sure y'all know this, clinicians are walking away from the bedside, specifically nurses, okay? And it's happening with therapists too, right? We, we did a beautiful job hanging in for two plus years of COVID. Um, we're kind of in this pseudo surge right now. I'm not sure where it's going, but I, I worry about us. I, I, I worry about protecting us financially, emotionally. Uh, It's important for me that therapeutic services are available long-term for people (laughs) and that we don't all burn out because we know burnout is real. And I believe that a lot of the way we price our services are part of the problem when it comes to our business models, when it comes to how burnt out we are, when it comes to us having the resources we need to take care of ourselves. So all of this discussion is, is within that framework. Okay, so let's get to the two <laughs> the two ways that you might want to think about how to price instead of the three that I've shared with you. So the first is a specialty. Now, I don't have a bunch of stats in front of me. I'm happy to, to figure those out with you guys in another episode, but I've worked at Stanford Medical School and Stanford Hospital for 14 years. I will tell you, and you probably already know this from watching Grey's Anatomy, that a primary care physician, right, who is a generalist, internal medicine, they have a wage, a, a, a salary, that is much lower than someone who is highly specialized in healthcare, like a brain surgeon or a cardiologist, right? Dermatology, like there's so many specialties within medicine with physicians, and there's different you know, um, reimbursement and pay because generalists generally know most stuff, but if you need a specialist, the specialist has to do all the general stuff plus, right, they have to go ahead and they have to 
do more school and pay more tuition and, and use more brain power to really craft something that is specific to a specific situation, right? We might call that a niche, <laughs> okay? But if you are an EMDR clinician, a brain spotting uh, clinician, if you are highly trained in Gottman, if you are highly trained in anything that you have paid thousands of dollars to be trained in, and you have spent countless hours practicing that modality, but you are such an expert that you can give your clients so much transformation, I want to invite you to think about that and ask yourself the question, am I really a specialist who is pricing myself like a generalist? If you ask the insurance companies, they don't care. They don't reimburse EMDR therapists more than someone who just went to grad school and never went to another training again, right? You get what you get and you don't get upset, right? As my kid's kindergarten teacher says, that's the way insurance companies work. They don't care. They don't care if you're a brain surgeon. They don't care. But I want you to care. I want you to notice that if you're specialized and you've done all these trainings and paid all this money, think about that as part of your identity when it comes to pricing, because you have an ability to provide a transformative experience for clients that a generalist cannot. And that is a fact, okay? That's point number one, okay? Point number two, perhaps when you think about what should my rate be, what should the price be, what you might want to do is experiment, okay? Pick, pick a price, pick a rate, okay? Let's say you pick 250 or 300, okay? No one comes. <laughs> it's, it's crickets, right? And your practice is not quite full yet and you need clients. What do we do? We lower our rate, get our practice full, and we have that footing and security underneath us. Make sense? And then... From a place of security and stability, we increase our rate for new clients, right? So my policy with my current clients is one time a year, there's a rate increase. Typically, it's like 40, 50 bucks, okay? Because I'm a highly specialized EMDR consultant who does intensive work, right? For new clients, my policy is I raise my rate every time my wait list goes beyond, I can't remember if it's eight weeks or 12 weeks. When my wait list is like out the door, right? And demand is high. And I know I'm going to be invited to be working a lot if I want. I'm going to rethink the rate there. I might, I might move it up a little bit because the market is giving me information, okay? About the worth of the service I am providing, now, a lot of us might have feelings about that. They might say, well, that's not right because it's medical care. And again, we're going back into this message of, I have to fix healthcare. I have to help everybody. If you want to go into that message, I completely support your choice. I just want us to be aware of that process and that way of thinking so that we might hold that way of thinking with another way of thinking and think about the choice we want to make intentionally, okay? So we do experiments with our rates. We raise them a little bit when demand is high, when our wait lists are long, we lower them when we need to fill spaces, okay? Now, it's hard to experiment on insurance, okay? Because what does insurance do? Insurance basically says, we'll give you all the clients and we'll keep you full. 
And there's not a lot of space to experiment when you are full. There's really not. And there's not a lot of space to experiment with your rate when you're on insurance and full. And the clients keep coming and they keep coming and they keep coming. So I hope that if nothing else, this gives you uh, a framework to think about how we've been thinking about how to price services. I hope it gives you some new frameworks and new ideas about how you might want to price, uh, determine your price that feels in your integrity moving forward. Um, And y'all know this comes from a place of protection and love. I would love to hear your thoughts about this. Uh, I read every email that I get. um, And I've been asked this question for years, and I thought it'd be fun to talk about it on the podcast with all of you to support you, again, being protected, being sustained, and, and being happy. Being, being happy in your job, wanting to come to work, wanting to be in service with boundaries, right? Sometimes our rates are a form of boundaries for our self-care. So with all of that being said, y'all know I love hanging out with you. I love being in your ear. Thank you for trusting me to be in relationship with you about topics that are complicated, emotional, and charged. Thank you for being with me as we think about how to think. So much fun to unpack that process. And uh, until the next time, I'm rooting for your success. Take care.